Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Welcome to episode 12 in season two of CRE Success, the podcast. Today I'm speaking to Nelson Yap. Nelson is the publisher and editor of Australia's most influential commercial real estate news source, Australian Property Journal. He's been doing that for over 18 years. And in this interview, he's going to share what journalists look for when publishing stories. And he'll share how you can position yourself for more media coverage. Nelson will be stepping into the virtual elevator in just 30 seconds. Before we say hello to him, we are releasing this episode with just 36 hours to go before CRE Success membership closes its doors to members until we open them again at the end of 2021. Now, this membership is perfect for you if you're a hard worker, but you also believe that things don't have to be done the hard way. I think you'll be a great addition to our community if perhaps you want something more than you're currently getting at work, but also you don't want to go it completely alone. And if you're open to new ideas and you're certainly not willing to wait until someone else says it's your turn to rise to the next level, then this membership has got the tools and resources you need to get there sooner. So if you're listening to this episode in real time, do make sure you go to CREsuccess.co forward slash membership and check out all the details about CRE Success membership. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Nelson, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you very much, Darren. Thank you for having me. The first thing that we do in every episode is we ask our guests to step into the virtual elevator and to give us their elevator pitch. So Nelson, tell me, who are you? Uh, My name is Nelson Yap. Uh, (laughs) I'm the editor and publisher of Australian Property Journal. Um, I think we are one of the longest uh, publications in property. Uh, We've been running since 2003. And we have around 22,000 subscribers and uh, it goes out nationally. The uh, publication also attracts readers from Asia as well, but predominantly it's Australian readers and it's geared towards commercial property people. But as well, we target residential and all the other um, property sectors like childcare, aged care, pubs, hotels, all those things that get, that get people excited about property. Well, congratulations on your longevity. 18 years is an impressive innings. Of all the topics that you could choose to cover as a journalist, why pick commercial real estate? Um, I fell into property by accident. I mean, I actually was, you know, I had done uh, journalism or media uh, at Swinburne and I was thinking perhaps, you know, I'd go into general news. I had this idea that that after watching so many Hollywood movies that I would be, you know, stationed in Iraq or one of those places. (laughs) And my mum was actually concerned. She was like, I don't want you to do that. But I fell into property, which is, you know, thankfully not as uh, crazy as war reporting and things like that. And then I started doing resi uh, uh, reporting, residential reporting at first, but I just found, you know, I liked commercial a lot more. It, there was a lot more detail, um, a lot more excitement in terms of what, you know, what we can talk about, uh, yields and all these things. Resi for me wasn't as interesting. So that's how I fell into doing commercial property and then started learning about A-REITs and all these things. So it was a quick learning curve for me um, back in 2003 when I started writing property. Awesome. And you mentioned a little bit about you've got readers not only in Australia, but 
outside of Australia and all the new sectors that you're now covering since you've launched Australian Property Journal. What mm. sort of people, what's the profile of uh, the readers of your publication? So the profile of the readers, a lot of them are property professionals. I guess that would encompass, you know, business development managers, project managers, facilities, funds management, real estate agents, leasing agents, etc. cetera, uh, those types of people. And developers as well. So anybody that's interested in property, and of course, we've got uh, professional investors, mums and dads, uh, self-managed super funds, private investors. So we try and cover everything. And I know sometimes people think, well, that's a lot. And it is. Um, but the property market is so diverse. You can't just sort of um, think that it's this simple thing because everyone's involved in it. I'm sure, you know, some of the people listening right now probably have investments in resi or commercial property. Um, and so, that, you know, whilst you can be a professional, you can also be an investor as well. So uh, we try and cover everything in property because it's just one of those things that uh, there's always new alternative investments coming up. You know, not long ago, we weren't talking about build to rent at all. Um, and now that's everything that's on people's minds is build to rent. And so, and then we, so it's turning to the USA, for example, you know, they've got cell phone towers or they call them cell phone towers. We call them mobile phone towers here that can go into REITs. They've got prison REITs. So, you know, my mind's always open to alternative investments and anything that we can write about for for property. I can remember um, when I first started in commercial real estate, it used to be that seniors living was kind of like the the new and um, interesting <laughs> thing outside of the three core elements of commercial property being office, yeah. industrial and retail. But now, of course, we've seen, you know, self-storage and uh-huh. data centers and oh. and everything else. That's uh, it, It's a great growth area, I guess. You'll continue growing as more types of real estate become institutionalized. Oh, totally. And if you look at job surveys or job uh, employment um, creation things, there are new jobs in the property market that didn't exist probably five to 10 years ago, like jobs in sustainability, jobs in, um, uh, they now have, you know, people who come in and uh, look at the, the, uh, a, comp- uh, a company's um, IT systems and how yep. they can maximize, like Investor, for example, uh, has uh, guys that, that, you know, specialize in prop tech or people who specialize in prop tech that come in and look at the efficiency of their buildings and how they can run it. And, and save on costs. And when they find out something happens, a computer will tell them. So it, the property industry is always creating new jobs uh, for people. So, you know, back in the, the days when, like you said, there were four core, core jobs, commercial, industrial, office, um, retail. Now we've expanded into sustainability, into prop tech, into child catch, so, uh, social infrastructure, data centers, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And workplace and design and wellness and all Again, of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And of course, it's not just you at APJ, right? You've got a team of people to help you cover this um, this very diverse sector. Yes, we do. We do. We have two two full time writers and three uh, uh, well part time slash um, freelancers um, because there's just you cannot absolutely do it yourself covering Australia wide with one one person only. Um, it is, and there's a lot happening. And most of what we report, um, I think, is probably just, ugh, you know, to be honest, I think we're reporting just maybe half of what's happening in the property market because you've got another half of deals and things like that that are done, you know, off market, and we never know about unless you check the government, um, you know, records uh, of transactions. And of course, you mentioned 22,000 ex- subscribers. And what's mm. fantastic about your business is that you've got paying subscribers, right? People actually pay to read your publication. 
Yes. So Australian Property Journal was one of the first ones to uh, introduce a paywall back in, I think, 2008, 2007, 2008, because the model um, in terms of, you know, paywalls is that we had the idea that, yeah, if you're creating something special that people want to read um, and if you're giving them something informative and hopefully valuable for them, then they will pay for it. And it was a challenge at first to overcome that idea that, you know, news is free, I can just access it. And by and large, a lot of the news you can find on residential property is free. You can just Google and, you know, and within a few seconds, mm. you'll see it. Um, but what we try and do is offer something different. And hopefully that's why we have built up that subscriber base of um of readers across, you know, the spectrum that I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, investors, real estate professionals, developers, et cetera, because hopefully they're finding something valuable. Even through COVID, uh, we've been able to retain our subscription numbers and it's been stable because I think once you give something valuable to people, they stick with you. Social media wasn't really a thing when you launched Australian Property Journal. In fact, it was pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter and, and everything else that's come since then. But mm. content's now come a long way, in, particularly in the past two or three years when we think about everyone is sort of expected to be a content creator. Is that changing the way that people see new services like yours or your business model at all? Absolutely. So we uh, obviously have sites, I suppose you can say that uh, we have a presence in twi on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And social media is important for us to attract new readers um, and promote ourselves um, out there. Because I always say to people like, uh, and this is why I say to real estate agents as well, like, it's great that you're doing deals. And it's like for us, for Australian Property Journal, it's great that we're reporting on stories. But if no one knows about it, uh, what's the point? So I say that to the real estate agents as well. Like, you know, it's great that you're doing deals and things like that. But if you don't send it to us and we don't report it, then no one knows that you've done a deal unless you tell someone. Um, so social media is kind of like that. Um, and we're reaching people all over the world, um, particularly in Asia, where there's always been a lot of interest in Australian property. Uh, you know, our neighbours in Singapore, uh, they love Australian property. So Social media allows us to reach there because they can't pick up a hard copy of us since we're online and they can't pick up a hard copy of The Age or Sydney Morning since they're in Singapore. So um, in a way, we use it to reach them before they reach Australia <laughs> to promote us. That's really cool. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking about the impact of social media on journalism generally. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the age of fake news, mm -hmm. uh, do some agents feel that they're better off communicating directly to their audience without the filter, if you like, of journalism? And does that mean they're less inclined to share information freely with you? Or do people actually want to get things out through you and they're happy to give you, if you like, an exclusive um, to be able to get it travel further to 25,000 subscribers as opposed to just maybe 500 or 1,000 that they have through their own social media networks? Mm. How, what, what's the impact of all that? It, I suppose it depends on the individual agent's thinking, but every person that I meet, um, they usually do start off with um, they're quite, I don't know whether it's something that uh, someone has put the fear into them um, or whether it's from a past experience, but I'm totally not like that at all. Um, and they, they start off with not trusting journalists. They think that we're going to write something bad about them. Mm. Um, so often they don't want to send us stuff um, because they feel like that. And sometimes that could be also maybe that um, 
you know, a PR person has told them not to do it um, and to do it directly via the PR person to get the message out. But, um, yeah, I, look, bad news stories will always happen um, and I suppose people love reading bad news more than good news sometimes. I don't know why, but that's the facts of it. Um, but for us, I always try and put across to the agent that, you know, you send us something and if it's worthwhile, then we'll write about it. I don't necessarily need exclusive stories to write something good about someone or, so, or, or development or a project or a, or a deal. I, in fact, I always say to people, I don't really want you to exclusively give it to us because then you might, you know, make the other journalists angry and then they might not want to cover you or might write something bad about you, you know, to spite. <laughs> so I encourage them to send everything to everyone at the same time. I think um, when you look at trust indexes, journalists mm. are often near the bottom along with real estate agents. So in some <laughs> ways we should have empathy for each other because we both face that, I guess, negative sentiment in the community. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing. And that doesn't just apply to the property market. It applies to um, a gen- uh, journalists in general. And I think we yep. do have a bad rep because people do ex- have bad experiences with journalists writing bad things about them. Fortunately, with the property market, um, or from Australian Property Journal uh, perspective, there are not that many bad things to write about in the property unless it's a rogue developer, you know, um, or a rogue, uh, one of those um, uh, people who come out and say, oh, I'll teach you how to make a million dollars and you don't even need uh, $1 in your bank account. And, you know, those spruikers. So that's the only time we ever write anything bad about property for Australian Property Journal, when we're reporting about property spookers and bad developers. But apart from that, yeah, most of the news I try to write is positive <laughs> and promote the industry. Yeah, well, I mean, there's been plenty of good news to write in the Australian property industry over the past uh, 18 years. Mm. I want to transition now, Nelson, because I know a lot of our listeners will want to know what makes a good story from a media or from a journalist's perspective. So if you're a commercial real estate practitioner and you're looking for an opportunity for coverage, what's the sort of thing that you should be looking out for and what's the way that you can present it to somebody like yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the times uh, a lot of the um, real estate agents that I speak to say, oh, I don't know whether this is right for you or not, um, so I don't send it. And I said, well, you don't know until you send it to me. Um, and that's why I say to everyone, no deal is too big or too small to report on. I know that a lot of the journalists maybe in the past have had stuff that they've sent to a journalist, uh, sorry, not journalists, uh, agents have sent stuff to journalists in the past and the journalists have said, sorry, not interested because that's only a 1,000 square metre lease or, or whatever. For us, there's no such thing as that. Uh, there's no deal that's too small. Every deal is important for us to report on because our readers, they could be landlords, they could be investors, uh, are interested in these sort of things. So I say to journalists, have an open mind because we do. Don't think that, um, oh, I've only done a $700,000 sale. I don't think, you know, that APJ, Australian Property Journal, will be interested in covering that. That's not true. Uh, we do a sales wrap uh, every day that goes out nationally. It's the most read story every day, top five because there's just always interest in what's happening in the property market. And the way you present stuff is you give us as as much facts as possible. Now, I understand a lot of the times you have sort of confidentiality agreements where you can't reveal who the, um, 
you know, who, who signed the lease or who purchased the property. But that's cool. We can always say it's a private investor um, if it's someone who's purchased a property. And I know sometimes in terms of leases, you can't reveal the, you know, the lease terms, for example, the rental paid. Um, but there's ways to overcome that. We can, you know, look at market sources and market guidances to give a, a figure like that. So I always say to uh, real estate agents, like, don't be afraid or don't think that your deal is too small or too big or not relevant to uh, people. Let us decide whether it is or not. And there's always something to write about uh, in the property market. And what about the actual story angle? Should Mm. commercial real estate professionals be trying to offer you different angles or is that your domain? They should just present the facts and then you can sort of find out what is, you know, the juicy element that's good for people to um, actually want to read. Oh, that does happen. Uh, I mean, that, that does happen. Sometimes they present something, but I find a different angle that I find is more interesting to go with readers. But that goes with my experience and also through our readership numbers that we monitor and how we... I suppose, um, cultivate, or the word's not cultivate, but how we angle stories to, uh, for, to, you know, for readers' consumption and what they look for in a story. And, and that comes from journalism experience. But often someone will send something to me and we get a lot of um, stories, for example, on listings. Um, you know, they've listed a retail property in a shopping strip in, in Melbourne or in Sydney. And if we had to cover that, we would have to cover hundreds of listings of stories a day. Um, so, uh, sorry, a week. And so I try and find some, so we can't cover all of that, obviously. And I try and find something interesting, each one for us to cover. So I know that agents will be disappointed. Sometimes they feel like, oh, look, I'm sending you guys 10 leasing or, or prospective sales uh, coming up, but none of it has been covered. And that's because I, I suppose it comes off maybe a bit generic, but we try and find something interesting. So whether, and maybe the agent can look for that themselves. So whether this family has held onto the property for 70 years or whether it's got an interesting tenant, maybe there's some characteristics with the property that's interesting. So try and find something interesting within that property uh, that you're marketing and then give it to us. Because, of course, I don't know the history of the uh, the, the property, whether the same family has owned it for seven ye- 70 years or maybe even the seller, if they, you know, the vendor, if the vendor agrees to it, is someone high profile or someone that's interesting in the property, or not in the property, but in just the general uh, industry. So sometimes, you know, you, you might have someone who is a famous surgeon uh, who owns this property um, or some... And so... Try and find something interesting, whether the it's the characteristics, the history of the property or the vendor themselves, or maybe, yeah, it, it comes off a, you know, the market's hot right now and this is the first offering in that shopping strip uh, in the last 10 years or something. So try and find something interesting that's happening. So that puts, that pitches your story above someone else's um, because it is quite competitive uh, when you're trying to uh, um, get exposure for your for your property story. Yeah, lots <clears> of good <throat> advice there on how people can present information to that makes it more appealing or can present mm. as many facts as possible so that's more likely that it could be appealing to your audience. Mm. Um, what's the format that they should present it in? Is, do people still need to sort of put it in a media release format? What's What's your preferred way to receive information? It comes in a variety. It depends. Um, a lot of agents actually 
don't ask this in the first place, but when they do, Australian Property Journal actually has a template. Um, so if you're reporting a deal, we send you a template and you can save that template on your computer and then you just plug in the details into it and then you send it to us. Um, and that template then allows us because that allows all of our journalist writers to just use the template to then formulate into a story. I know it sounds very, <laughs> sounds like factory uh, uh, writing stories in a fact, uh, in sort of a factory sense, but we have a template. Um, but, in, but I don't have a um, uh, sort of a standard that I expect the agents to send it to me um, in, it, uh, for their stories. Um, it's up to them how they write their stories and how they use, you know, because each person has their own way of telling a story and each PR person probably wants an influence if they've got a PR person there um, on how they can present the story. But yeah, if, you, if you're doing a, a sales or a lease, um, get in touch and we've got a template. It makes it easy for you of what we expect um, from, a, from um, a deal that's been reported. And of course, the benefit for commercial real estate professionals from getting this exposure can be um, more business in the future based on the fact that many potential deal doers are readers of your publication. Absolutely. So I, we've got this um, uh, and I, I, I've got a lot of um, you know, anecdotal uh, stories to tell about this, so uh, we don't have all day. But one of them is the um, we few, you know, uh, this one person who was an expert in um, holiday parks and caravans did a, uh, a video interview with us um, where we talked about what was happening in the industry. And of course, you know, it's for most people, it's not something they talk a lot about, um, holiday parks and caravan parks. Um, but from that interview that they did with us, um, one of the big majors, uh, I think it was Discovery Parks, saw the uh, interview uh, uh, and then engaged them to um, basically help uh, reposition the something, I, th I think it was like 20 plus uh, caravan parks that they had in, across, 20 or 40 plus caravan parks they had across uh, Australia. So then without that exposure that we gave them, they would not have been, I suppose, uh, they, uh, the, the client wouldn't have uh, come to them because the client wouldn't have known about it. And that happens a lot with uh, real estate agents. A lot of the stuff, that they tell me is that they get the um, it's it's sort of like yeah reporting on what they do it ends up being a referral for something else because a client has seen them um, market a property for example a shopping uh, sorry a retail shop in a shopping strip that's four doors four doors down from their property and seen that the good deal that they got so the client ends up getting in touch and saying hey I saw you sell you know one two three uh, Smith Street. Um, I own four shops down. I'm wondering whether you can uh, sell because I'm looking to get out of the, um, the, the the property. I'm looking to, you know, cash in. And I saw you got a good price. So that's why I always say to agents, never, ever underestimate. Like, don't think that your story is not relevant because if you, you know, send us stuff to tell, then you might end up winning more business um, through a um, an investor or, or or someone who has read our story and then gets in touch with you. Very good advice. Now, Nelson, this is not your first podcast interview. When I reached out to you to be a guest, you actually told me you've been on another podcast talking about another passion of yours, which is aviation. So yes, tell I me am. a little bit about the podcast you were on and why you were on it. That was an aviation and um, 
frequent fly points uh, podcast because I've got a deep passion for it. I don't know why it is, but it's one of those things. I suppose the um, the uh, thing that got me involved was that I was I flew one time. First time I ever had my holiday, I flew from Melbourne to New York via LA in economy class out on, in, on Qantas. And, I, and after arriving in New York, I slept for two days. And I'm and I, fortunately, I was there for two weeks. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. This is not good uh, as flying in economy. <laughs> and I contacted Qantas. I rang them after I woke up. And I said, can I upgrade to premium economy? And they said, yeah, you have to pay the fare difference. And it's going to be... Um, four or five thousand dollars i went what never mind fine i will uh buy sleeping pills and fall asleep uh on the plane on the journey back so when i got back to melbourne i i figured yeah uh, i gotta find a way to get to the front of the plane and that's what started my um, aviation passion so when i did the forecast uh, sorry the podcast i told the same story that this is what got me into the aviation and frequent flyer game so you became a points hacker based mm-hmm. on the fact that you had two days of a lost holiday in New York being yes. at the back of the bus. Yeah, absolutely. And also my because I was sitting way at the back, the meals ran out by the time they got to me. So oh. I had no nothing else but to eat the vegan option, which was I was I mean, you know, I, I'm nothing against vegans, but I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I wanted the chicken or the beef, whichever one you've got. <laughs> Oh, okay. Now I get steamed veggies. Cool. Yeah. So that that made me change my um my whole perspective on things. I, I thought there must be a way to get to the front of the plane without being a millionaire, uh, without paying you know eight, ten thousand, sixteen thousand uh, dollars mm-hmm. to do this. And I have found a way. And when you say point hacker, whenever I say point hacker to people, they get freaked out. They're like, "Oh my god, you're hacking!" No, no, no. We're not hacking. It's all legal stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just a better way. It's just, it's a, just a better way. Yeah. We found a better way. And since then, I've been doing first class everywhere. And um, and I joke about it to people all the time. Like, oh, I don't know how I can go back to business now. <laughs> you can't. You can't. I mean, I, it's, um, I, I used to be uh, doing a lot of business travel and flying in business class. And it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to fly economy when you, when you get the taste of the good stuff. And, oh, um, even... Even domestically now, like if I have to go to Perth, I always freak out. <laughs> I know it sounds precious, but I'm like, oh, come on. Okay, fine. At least I'll get row three or something. No, but you're right, though. Once you fly a business and you haven't had a taste of the lounge and relaxing and then the champagne on board, like I said to you earlier, I'm up there working and with a glass of wine or champagne. Well, it's probably my fourth champagne by that time. (laughs) Emailing someone back as I'm, you know, flying across from, where was I last time? From Tokyo to Frankfurt over over Russian airspace and emailing people. It was fantastic. And I was doing that as a, my part of my 72 hours around the world journey, which was really fun. Awesome. Well, well, I used to love the special treatment of being high status on um, the airline that I was very loyal to and I got to their top status. Mm. And I used to love the priority boarding. I used to love being in the lounge, Um, you know, your your baggage coming first. And then I got an APEC card, which meant that even if there wasn't priority from, you know, that class of uh, ticket holder, in mm. the country, you'd then get the APEC. It was, I used to love it all. It's, it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. The APEC card's my favourite thing because we get to use the diplomat, uh, diplomatic queue too. Yes. Um, 
So often um, when I go through, yeah, and in Japan, the APEC queue is the same with the diplomats queue. So you get bows and everything because they think that you're a diplomat. And I'm like, wow, this is the life of an ambassador or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, they still check our bags. If you're if you're a diplomat, you don't get any um, no, you know, you get no, of diplomatic immunity. But um, no. it's still pretty cool. But I, I am worried that we've alienated the audience with all this talk of. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> Nelson, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks so much Pleasure. for sharing your knowledge on this episode of CRE Success. The Thank you very much. For more information about our guest, visit CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Thank you once again, Nelson, for being my guest. Now, don't forget CREsuccess.co forward slash membership. Check out all the details about joining our membership before Friday, July 2 at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's Melbourne, Sydney, uh, the Eastern uh, Seaboard Time. That's 4 p.m. in Asia, in Hong Kong and Singapore, and it's 1 a.m. Pacific Time in North America. So if you're in North America, make sure you act on Thursday. If you're here in Asia Pacific, well, it's Friday afternoon when the doors close. I hope that you will consider joining CRE Success membership. Either way, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at CREsuccess.co. 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. Credia is a business intelligence and analytics tool for commercial real estate professionals. Using real-time insights, track key portfolio metrics and benchmark against the market so you can make faster and well-informed decisions. With live dashboards and bespoke reporting, impress both your executive team and your property clients. It's time to turn data into your most valuable asset with Credia from Released.